We belong in the playoffs and running for a championship. Matthews delivers! Bad your chance to sketch with Rob by Penny! Dilts knocks him down with the left! This is the Rush Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Jansen. Connect with me on Twitter at Janner on PXP. The team's on social media is at SaskRushLax. Well, we all know what we're talking about on this podcast. I don't need to break any news for you. It's the Battle of the Prairies this weekend in Saskatoon, and the Rush made the biggest splash at the deadline, picking up two-time NLL champion Reese Dutch from the Colorado Mammoth. Is that the difference maker? Is that what pushes this Saskatchewan team into the playoffs where we all know anything can happen? And it's not even me saying that. It's not even a bias. It's if you look at the playoffs, especially in the West, where of recent, that's where the championships come from. It's the better conference. The team to win the league in the last two championships hasn't finished top one or two in the West. It's been number three. It's been number four. Why, you might ask? Because it's about getting hot at the right time. It's about gelling together at the right time. It's about clicking at 100% when you need it, and that's the playoffs. So it's not how you get to the dance. It's get there and wear your work boots. That's what Saskatchewan needs. And when you're sitting at 5-7 and seven with the schedule that they have, I, I called it a movie script schedule coming up, but realistically, you couldn't ask for anything better right now. You've got a chance to get yourself to will your way to the playoffs and to make some serious damage in the playoffs with the roster players that Derek Keenan chose to keep around because he believes that if they get to the playoffs, they could win a championship. Simple as that. And I think that the team does have a bit of a different look from the last time we talked. Marshall Palace gets traded out to Albany. My thoughts on that really surround the opportunity he would have in Saskatchewan versus Albany. It's a lot easier travel. It's a lot closer to home. Being a young guy, you know, maybe you do want to spend a little bit more time with family and those around you. So the travel schedule becomes a little bit easier. Plus, it's that opportunity where he can be a number one lefty in Albany. Snap the fingers. Just like that. So I I wouldn't look too much into his performance points-wise because he's probably going to get three times the amount of touches in Albany versus Saskatchewan. Not that that's a bad thing. Not that, you know, that's anything to fault Marshall for. But he's playing with Mark Matthews, Ryan Keenan, Clark Walter was breathing down his neck. Everyone knew Clark Walter was damn near NLL ready. And he's obviously shown that. Don't expect five goals from him every game, but you know what you're going to get night in, night out from that guy for the most part. So for Palace, I think it's a new opportunity. For Saskatchewan, you get more draft capital, another second-round pick. Yes, it's down the road in 2025, and I know a couple of people were asking as well, well, why would it be more recent? Why 2025? Think about some of these young core, these young players out the back gate. Think about guys like Boudreaux, Barnable, Searle, Enju, Bobby Kidd III, you know, Jarrett Smith. Where are they going to be in two years? 
These next couple of drafts as well, I would expect them to, you know, go a little offensive heavy and, you know, put some more back in the cupboards around guys like Walter, Madronic, and stuff like that. So I think about this team two years down the road, and obviously there's no way to predict how different they would look. But now you've got draft capital down the road that if you do want to make that big splash in 2025 and you're in a playoff championship hunt, well, here you go. Now we can add that missing piece and we don't have to give away a roster player for it because we started to look ahead at draft capital before it actually came to be a priority. Again, that's thinking three steps ahead, chestnut checkers. That's just the, the basis of being a GM and being one of the best of all time. Then you look at the trade on Monday, you acquire Reese Dutch from Colorado. This is a guy who's over three points per game. He's a righty that can rip the pill. He's been there, done that. Two NLL champions. He's from championships. He's familiar with a lot of the guys as well. He's also very familiar with the West and how good it is. So when you add someone like that, who's a little ticked off, a little pissed off of how maybe these past few years have gone. Yes, it's tough dealing with injuries, but he's healthy now. And he's still on the run to prove he can play at a very high level. And he wants to prove some people wrong. We'll get to that in the interview as well on the Rush Hour podcast. Don't forget Saturday night, 7.30, Battle of the Prairie, Sastel Center, Trailer Park Night. If you don't follow the Rush on social media, I, I mean that trailer trash dog or whatever they're calling it. I don't know the official title. I can't wait to get one. I don't know about you. It's going to be an absolute blast. Some of the big names stopping by as well. There's no better bang for your buck than a rush game Saturday night. I know the Blades game is going to be bumping on Friday night. Bedard's in town again. But what a weekend. If you're a Saskatchewan sports fan, Friday night, 15,000 people to watch the Blades play the Pats. Saturday, you get the Battle of the Prairies doesn't get any better than that hey let's throw it over to our guests though on the podcast newest member of the saskatchewan rush it's reese dutch all right reese dutch joins me on the podcast you knew it was gonna happen rush nation hey we gotta start off dutchy what's the worst pronunciation you've ever heard of your name oh man i don't it's probably everything you can imagine rise rice douche dutch like i mean douche all of it comes at you Oh, I know. I've heard a few good ones, so I had to uh, bug you right away. But obviously, newest member of the Rush picked up on deadline day from Colorado. Walk me through how that goes down for you. Like, do you know it's a possibility, and what's the day like? Uh, I don't know, man. I, I mean, it was it was a surprise, but not all at the same time. I, I had figured Colorado, like we, the Mammoth needed to make some sort of move because of all the injuries piling up on the back end. You know, we just lost Noah Labar to ACL and, and earlier Joey Capito to uh, his Achilles. And, and, you know, those are guys that were staple in their lineup. So I think they had to make some room. I, I didn't know it was going to be me, but then, they, you know, Ryan Lee's back. I, I mean, they kind of brought me in to cover for some injuries. Uh, maybe I thought I'd earn a spot to stay but <laughs> you know this is honestly Saskatchewan is going to be a better fit for me and I think the talent in this group is uh you know I'm going to help try and help steer it in the right direction here okay so on trade deadline day and, and walk me through you're a player I'm not 
When you see your phone light up, who's calling you? And right away, is it in your gut? Like, okay, where am I going or what? Uh, a little bit. I mean, if you, well, it was a text message. When the GM messages you on Monday, there's probably it's one of two reasons. Regardless of the trade deadline, it's, you know, did you do something stupid on the weekend that he needs to follow up with you on? Or, and I knew that wasn't the case. Or something's going on roster-wise. And uh, I, so I had a bit, bit of a feeling and I called him back. And, I mean... I honestly didn't see a trade with Saskatchewan on the radar, but you know, I, I mean, I, I'm actually quite excited about it. I feel, I feel good. Well, there's a lot of BC boys on Sask. So when you first heard Saskatchewan though, like right away, is, is it kind of one of those places where you're like, Oh my goodness, I've played against these guys for the rush for how many years now I got to go join them. Or, or was it instantly like, yeah, this is going to be the fit for me you hate playing against players for a lot of reasons. And I mean, a lot of the time Saskatchewan was the team in the fear to be, or the team in the West to be feared. So to, uh, to be able to kind of join on that and, and hopefully put the fear back in these Western teams is going to be fun. Okay. I love that. I love that. Let's, let's run it back though, because I, I want to talk about everything in your lacrosse career, except for 2019. There's no mention of that. We will not talk about that for any reason. And Rush Nation doesn't want to hear it. But how do you first pick up a stick, Reese? Uh, to be honest, my dad played. Uh, my dad and my uncles, uh, Victoria Shamrocks is kind of the big deal here where I live in Victoria. And so it was, it was just in the family. And uh, I started playing when I was five and never stopped. So you were always nasty as a kid then, eh? <laughs> I mean, it was, you could tell the kids that played in their off time and the kids that didn't. And then, you know, if you're the fastest kid when you're young, it usually helps. Be humble though. Like how many goals are you putting up in a minor lacrosse game? <laughs> oh man. I don't know. I, <laughs> I think, I think one of my earliest memories of numbers was we won the championship and it was, I, I, I won't put a year on it, but it was novice. And, uh, I think we beat Burnaby eight, seven in the final. And I had four of them. Okay, well, that that's not outrageous. I was waiting for you to start talking about 10-goal games. Well, yeah, but, I mean, they don't keep scoring when you're too young. What was your junior <laughs> yeah, career there like? Times when I was told to, there were times when I was told to stop scoring. Okay, you're just ripping the pill on these kids who are eight years old. They're like, hey, let's uh, tone it down, Dutchie, for this one. Maybe mix in three passes before we score. <laughs> yeah. What was yeah, your I junior mean, career I, I'm like, sure. though? Uh, junior career. Well, I mean, I kind of, I was in the, when Burnaby was buying championship eras, so I didn't really have, uh, we didn't do a ton of, I mean, we were winning in the West. We'd usually come either second or third, but that was when, you know, the only team putting kind of money into it and bringing it Ontario guys was Burnaby. So that was when their dynasty was, oh. um, but I mean, I loved it. You're playing, I played for the Shamrocks hometown team. It was kind of, you know, it was playing for pride and, and all, you know, half the guys I play, I was in high school with too. So it was kind of your, uh, your varsity blues sort of scenario. So we got a little bit of shade going on here with Burnaby, eh? That's, that's where it's at for juniors. <laughs> I mean, tell, tell me where the lie is. <laughs> they were buying championships, but I, you know, there was probably three guys from Burnaby on the Burnaby team. <laughs> I love it. I love some good summer ball drama here as well, too. And I, I know you play with a lot of guys out in Victoria who are just, I, I mean, that's in your senior career, too. But talking about summer wagons, Vic's definitely got one of those. What's, you end up going down to Stony Brook. Now, how does that process come about as well? When do you start playing field? When does that look like an option for you? 
I uh, well, my dad. I I started playing field honestly when I was only like twelve, and it was pretty much because you hear stories about that's where the that's where the opportunity for scholarships were. Um, I kind of was given the option to play field lacrosse or hockey, and I mean, you know, I was a decent hockey player, but as every Canadian except for the point zero one percent has to kind of come to terms, I wasn't going to be making the show. That's for sure. So I thought you know pursue an opportunity that seemed like a good idea for me, and so that's when I started field and. I mean, there wasn't kind of a, you know, there. You, I mean, I, this will age me a bit. I, I was, I was sending VHS tapes to colleges, so <laughs> that was how I was kind of getting my name out there. And then word of mouth, there wasn't these giant recruitment camps. It wasn't, you know, you couldn't just submit a, a pilot film of yourself online so much. It was kind of before those times. So, you know, kudos to my mom who was sort of my agent at the time, and I just got a, got my name out there. I, I honestly couldn't tell you where. I think Stony Brook. It was his name was Brendan Chamberlain actually, and he uh, I think he was reaching out to coaches in BC, and then my name got put in his ear, so went on a couple uh, visits, and I, I really enjoyed Stony Brook, so that's how it all went down. Okay, how much are you spending on shipping these out though? Like VHSs, that doesn't seem cheap though. Are you using your weekly allowance or what? <laughs> you know, again, kudos to my mom. I never saw a bill for it. I think she was more looking at it as a as an investment because uh, the scholarship was either coming out of my parents' bank account or or the schools. <laughs> that's fair. I, I guess that's a pretty good trade-off, and I'm sure it was a little bit more than the, the Canada Post bill might have been. How about the NLL draft for you? Walk me through your day. Uh, it was in Boston, and it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, that was when we still did, like, the combine day. Uh, so, I mean, you, got, you, you go – and there's kind of the you know I was Stony Brook was it was awesome but it wasn't kind of one of those big big name schools right we had like the Matt Donowski's of the world coming into the combine so it was a little bit uh, I had to I had to kind of be a little bit starstruck at at times um, but you know I knew my background was in box and I was going to be highly touted so that was good and I mean it was it was kind of it was like it was fun and nerve wracking and we just did a bunch of you know they did our forties and and strength testing and and stuff like that and then you actually met individually with all the GMs and potentially head coaches. And then they kind of the next day they did the draft. So I, it was kind of, I kind of knew, I think I knew where I was going because San Jose had had the second and the third pick that year. And Doug Locker had been calling me quite a bit. You weren't pissed at Locker that he used the second round pick on someone else though. I mean, that was, I think that was more of a Johnny Meridian thing at that point. I don't think I was Doug. They were trying to trying to get in Paul Rabel's trying to make the American feel good. That's that's fair. I guess we can point the yeah. fingers there. What was that first year like in San Jose? Obviously, you ripped it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. I moved down to the market. They, we had a great spot there. They set us up with our play, with our own little places to live. And I was coaching out of high school, and you know, spending the winter in Southern California wasn't wasn't there wasn't the worst wasn't the worst way to do it. So who was all on that team? Was that like Colin Doyle, Rabel? I believe Sedgie would have been there too, right? Yeah, you, heck yeah, he was. Where, what Sedgie, year? Sedgie was there. Yeah, okay. That's Who yeah, else was then, on that uh, team? Jeff Zawicki. Okay. Any other yeah, big names? Group. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I mean, we had like, you know, Mike Grimes, Kyle Sorensen. There's not there's not a ton of guys that are were around or, or that might be recognized now. That was, you know, that was 14 years ago. And I was young guy now i'm not the young guy 
Well, you only spent one year in San Jose. I wonder why, if people would to see the pictures. But you end up in Washington as well, and 2010 was another big year for you, right? 33 talks, you guys go to the finals and win that. How was that for you know yourself in a sophomore season and just setting you up for a long career in the league? Uh, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, it's easy to love something when it loves you back, and we were we have, we found a lot of success there. Uh, you know, Chris Hall had taken over kind of halfway through the year um, in 2009 with San Jose as the head coach, and you know, for him to kind of carry that into the next year. And I think that year we started six and Oh, uh, never really looked back. So it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty good. I mean, you know, it's very similar to the seasons that you guys were having in the mid 2010s there when you're, when you put the three out of four championships together and it's, uh, it makes it easy to love. And I think that it was a great way to kind of get my second year under my belt. Give me a good Matt Beers story because he would have been a rookie then and there's a 1,000% chance he's not listened to this so we can let it go. <laughs> I can't do that, man. That's I mean, on the floor, you know what was cool about him and I'll never forget it is his first game he had a Gordie Howe hat trick. Yeah, I think he had a goal and assist and a fight. Oh, that's that's pretty. Bad. I mean, that's a way to make a name for yourself, especially when you got a last name like Beers. Like, and in Everett, Washington, I don't know if you're familiar with the demographic there, but oh, yeah. a guy with the last name Beers who's punching guys out was pretty darn popular. Where does he rank in his prime amongst some of the heavies you've seen? Oh god, I don't know. He didn't. He kind of. He kind of. Well, yeah, he slowed realized, down realized now, but value. he went to a lot of the toughest guys in the league there. Totally, yeah. He wouldn't. He wouldn't step down. I'm just saying. He there wasn't really like the heavyweight scene sort of was trickling out as he was just coming into the league. But I mean, he's toe to toe with a lot of guys. I think that he realized his value was a little bit more on the floor though <laughs> there for a while. So he didn't, he didn't just start fight, kept fighting all the time. But I mean, he's that, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to put a rank on it. I don't really follow fighting too much, but I, I wouldn't put him, you know, I would never put him down. I'd always want him on my side to fight. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. I already said, we're not going to talk about your 2019, uh, 2020 season because you played for the bad guys and uh, Saskatchewan's <laughs> got to face them this weekend. So I want to talk about your short sit in San Diego. You got to walk me through what happens there. Cause we, we see, I see you sign and then obviously COVID hits and all that stuff. And then you end up in Halifax. So you just got to wrap me around here. What actually went down in that time? Oh man, I'm still trying to wrap around my head around it. I don't want to, <laughs> slander anybody well, we don't got to throw anyone under the bus here i'm just i, I yeah. mean explain it for dummies pretend i'm a grade five yeah student. well i mean we had they, they'd signed me for the purpose of that sort of what they when they were when the league was looking at that shortened maybe season in a bubble thing in 20 i think 20 or 2021 maybe when they were going to do maybe yeah. per, perhaps meet in ontario and just do like a three-week sort of mini season but uh and then, and then the off season, right? It all reset, and they had their picks again, so they were able to kind of fill their fill the radio spots with some younger guys. And I don't know, man, it, it wasn't handled super professionally in my mind. Um, and but I never even ended up, you know, getting a hat. So it was I don't I would never consider myself part of the organization. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then with Halifax, uh, it was more just kind of threw my name out there in the free agency on social media and Kurt reached out. I'd played with uh, six nations back in 2012. So I was, I'm familiar with the group and you know, they were, they were undefeated going into the COVID break. So it was a pretty easy decision. I know it was a lot of travel, but not the worst to uh, jump on a team that had potential. 
What was it like for you coming back, you know, over the past few years? Because obviously you've gone through some injury troubles as well. And, you know, everyone's usually a little beat up come later on in their career. But for you to to really get back, then I feel like this year with Colorado is a little bit of rejuvenation for you because, well, we've seen you twice already this year and you've done, or we say once, not twice. We've seen Colorado twice. You once. And obviously you seem like a different player again. Yeah. I mean, it's been a lot of work, man, but I think I just personally, uh, my pride and, and just really wanting to, I, I don't want it to be taken away from me. Do you know what I mean? Like an injury would be an injury would do that. Like it was kind of a freak accident. It wasn't, you know, me not taking care of myself or anything like that. It was just the way my knee went. And that was game two with Halifax, you know, game one was against you guys. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Patrick and first star and I was like sweet things things are back to normal and then game two you know eight minutes in my knee goes and there it was like I just finished dealing with the Achilles after after the 2019 season with Calgary we're not talking about and then you know we come back from that get working my way back in and then my knee goes so it was kind of a here we go again but determination and you know I want to I want to have a lot of success let's win a championship here in green and then i can ride the white horse out you know maybe a year or two however long from now but i want it to be my decision i got one more career question about you actually because the start of this year obviously it was a little bit of a shocker to the lacrosse world when halifax let you go i mean how much does that motivate a guy to really come out and start kicking ass here again yeah i mean it was a bit of a you know the travel obviously doesn't help but what ha- i had take I, I went down with like a minor a more minor injury but it was going to take me out for three maybe four weeks kind of first weekend of training camp there just plantar fascia stuff so they uh when austin shanks decided not to kind of honor the the uh period or whatever with his fire department um the i can't i can't think of the word but anyway so they, they had that they had four young guys that kind of live in the market and it just didn't make a ton of sense for me to be a uh, you know a maybe guy in the lineup and travel across the country and you know they they felt the same way so no sense in kind of dragging it out and uh colorado had kind of been called around because with the ryan lee injury and, and everything they needed someone to help with their offense so it just it just kind of made sense for everybody involved well, that's totally fair. And I think you're stepping into a similar situation in Saskatchewan where, you know, they've been hit by the injury bug. They've been dealing with some stuff throughout the season. And now you kind of walk into a spot with a few BC guys as well who are looking for that next spark. So, I mean, for the maybe lacrosse fan who hasn't seen you play too much, what do you expect to bring to the lineup? Uh, I mean, I, this lineup is, an, is a crazy amount of talent, and I'm honestly so excited to get out there and contribute with it. Uh, but for me, you know, I'm going to add poise with the ball in my stick. I think I, I can help an offense to feel uh, kind of settled and and maybe and 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 just kind of help it flow. Uh, I've always had the, had the outside shot, and then you know, if I get in tight, I'm going to bury it more than not. So I think it's. Uh, opportunity like I can find success in opportunity. I'm going to really help the power play. Um, any offensive guy will say it's probably their favorite part of the game, but uh, I'm really looking forward to getting out there with that stuff too. So I think I'm going to help the power play. I'm going to contribute putting points on the board. Um, and I think I read something. Actually, I think you wrote it. You know, they've lost three games. I keep saying they. We've lost three games by one goal. And, I, you know, I'd like to think I could make that at least a goal difference. So let's find some wins. So you've played in front of some rocking crowds. I know you started your career in San Jose, but what's the excitement level coming to Sask? Oh, it's going to be awesome. I, uh, it's, I mean, the packed house and the atmosphere that you guys bring. And I mean, it's, it's the fans, the noise that they bring, but also just the show. Like you guys as an organization just seem, 
quality from from top down um, just presentation wise and I think you know it's not just the product on the floor but the product of the whole thing that makes everybody excited to be there so to be on the uh, the positive side of that is pretty exciting well Dutchie we're pumped to have you here I appreciate you taking the time on the pod this week no problem see you guys this weekend Huge thanks to Reese for stopping by on the pond this week. I know he's going to be a busy guy. I know a lot of people want to talk to him, so we do appreciate him taking time for the Rush Hour podcast, of course. Uh, And I've seen all the questions. I got the DMs this week, and I wanted to dive into it. I told everyone, hey, wait for the podcast, wait for the podcast. I'll give my thoughts on the trade deadline. And so here it goes, as brutally honest as you can be, I think that the reason it was a quiet deadline on the buying and selling front across the league was a little bit of unrealistic expectations. And this isn't to dunk on anyone, but when you consider what some teams were willing to pay for certain players and what some teams wanted for certain players, that's where you slow down a deadline. That's where, yes, fans want to see all these moves, but it's not a video game. When people's jobs are at risk, you can't go and trade for pennies on the dollar. That's not realistic. And as well, you can't go trade dollars for pennies or that's going to put you on the hot seat even quicker, right? So, I mean, there's certain impact players And there was players on the market who had similar impact and even less impact to their teams as Reese Dutch did. And the asking price was a first-round pick plus a prospect or a first-round plus more. And maybe the Mitch Jones trade did set the precedent this year with what Philly gave up for him on a rental contract. But the fact that Derek Keenan got restouched for a third that would become a second if the Rush make the playoffs. Uh, scratch that, scratch that. Producer edited out when the Rush make the playoffs. So it does become a second round pick if the Rush are in the playoffs this year. But still, to get a righty O guy who's well over three points per game who's motivated, has that championship pedigree. For some of the players of similar position and handedness out East, the asking price was a first plus. So nine ways to Sunday, you're taking the Dutch deal in a heartbeat. And then you look at maybe some of the younger players who were on the market as well that teams don't have the chance to utilize, even some out West that we're getting talked about. Well, the ask there, if you're looking for two first-round picks, if you're an NLL GM giving up two first-round picks or a first-round pick and, and multiple later on, say, second, third rounders, you better be getting someone who's stepping into your lineup and going to play a one or two role on that right or left side. There's no way you're giving up those picks, especially with how strong some of these upcoming drafts are. It just doesn't make sense. So when everyone was kind of pumping the tires of, oh, it's going to be a crazy deadline, huge deals are in the works. Well, I I tried to pump the brakes on that a little bit. We did talk on Saturday or Friday in the postgame show as well 
that, hey, I, I do think that the phone's going to be ringing, but everyone's got to check in a little bit here. Some of the asking price from teams that I've talked to, it was just <laughs> kind of laughable. Not, not in a, a rude way, but in a sense of there's so many teams who think that they are that close to being championship caliber that they don't feel the need to overpay for guys who might not move the needle. That's probably the best way to put it. So when you consider getting Reese Dutch, a clutch goal scorer, I will add. I mean, the overtime in 2019, I know I joked we wouldn't talk about it or say it, but I will bring it up. All this guy does is score clutch goals. He wants to be in the big moments. He wants the ball in his stick. He's not turning the ball over. I, what has he got? 10, 15 turnovers all season long. You know, this is a guy who's a responsible gamer. And it's exactly who you want in green. It now takes the pressure off of players like Robert Church. It allows more time and space for Dan Lintner, Austin Madronic. Those guys don't have to worry about providing the offense maybe that they did before. Now you can focus on going and setting picks. Now you can open up some extra time and space for Church and Dutch. Now teams like Calgary can't put a near double team on Church and Matthews because there's other weapons and threats on the floor. And again, once Dinsdale gets back, that competition is going to ramp up even more. So I love it. I, I think the move is one of the things we've talked about. Where's the secondary scoring coming from for Saskatchewan this year? Because when they're getting production out of the back gate and transition, they're winning ball games. When they're not, they're not winning. So if you can take a little bit of that pressure off the transition game and throw it in some of your depth forwards, say four through seven, now you're talking about those three one-goal losses probably being wins. And now instead of sitting at five and seven, you're probably eight and four. It's a lot of season left, though. Six games, it's going to be an awesome stretch. As I said, movie script schedule coming up here. you got Calgary this weekend. You've got Vancouver the following weekend. Only two more road games. You go down to Georgia. Then you've got Halifax, Colorado back-to-back at home. And you close out the season in Vegas, which could be a win-in-your-in scenario. I will break down the tiebreaker as well. There was a lot of confusion there. And funny enough, again, I don't want to lay blame. I'm not pointing fingers here. We were sent the wrong information. This was a couple of weeks ago. The tiebreaker format has 1,000% changed. And so the easiest way I could break it down for you, Rush Nation, is that if the 4th in the West and 5th in the East are tied, it goes to their head-to-head. So if it's Saskatchewan-Halifax, whoever wins that game on April 15th will have the tiebreaker if they are tied at the end of the season in that fourth spot in the West. If Philly's fifth in the West and Saskatchewan's fourth in the West, since they don't play each other during the season, Saskatchewan automatically gets into that fourth spot. So maybe it does make things a little bit more fair because of the unbalanced schedules. And I really don't hate that. I, I It's still crazy to me that 5th in the West can't get 4th in the East spot. 
But that's a conversation for another day. End of the day, hey, again, huge thanks to Research for hopping by the pod this week. Don't forget, Saturday, 7.30, Rush Nation. We will see you there. Games on TSN+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus in the States. And don't forget, on the Rush app, you can listen all season long to the Rush Radio Network. All right, it's been another edition of the Rush Hour podcast presented by Original 16. And as always, be kind, be better.